Hello, pod pals, and welcome to another episode of Best Girl Grip in Lockdown, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the careers of women working in the film industry. I am your host, Nicole Davis. We're sort of back to being in this strange limbo period where the rules are easing slightly and it's becoming more of a personal choice about how much you do or socialise, which can be quite stressful. Um, So I hope you're going with your gut instinct and doing what makes you feel safe and calm. My my film watching this week has been uh, basically non-existent, but there are two documentaries I think I watched the week before last um, that I want to take a moment to highlight. One of those is Disclosure on Netflix, the documentary exploring transgender representation in the media, particularly in film and TV. Uh, it reminds me a little of when I watched um, 13th in that sort of just like very <laughs> like visceral gut punch impact that it, it had on me, you know, in the sense that it's it's incredibly rigorous and authoritative but at the same time just really emotionally visceral and you, you you hear this refrain a lot but it is something that I think everyone needs to watch. The second one is um you know uh, a film that I'm really late to the party on and it's it's been on my to watch list forever and then I finally got around to watching it and I was I was kind of like mad at myself for not having seen it before and that is Sarah Polly's Stories We Tell uh, in which she interviews her own family and friends of the family ostensibly about her mother's death. Um, I think go in with minimal info and just expect to be wowed. Uh, it's very brave and intelligent filmmaking. But back to business. This week, I spoke to the casting director, Lara Manwaring, who has been in the industry for the past decade, predominantly working at Des Hamilton Casting. They've done films like Four Lions, Tyrannosaur, This Is England, Wuthering Heights, and Adult Life Skills. Lots of really incredible British cinema. Uh, Lara now has her own company through which she has cast projects such as Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage and Andrea Riseborough, Anil Karia's Surge, starring Ben Whishaw, and a film called Liz and Lucy, directed by Faisal Belifa, which is released today. Uh, it was called a fiercely impressive feature debut by The Guardian, and it is now available to watch on digital platforms, including BFI Player. Lara and I talk about making that leap from working for a company uh, to being her own boss, what she looks for in auditions, why the recognition towards casting directors has come at such a glacial pace, and the responsibility she feels uh, towards ensuring greater representation for people of colour on our screens. It's a great chat. I always find casting um, a really kind of fascinating um, concept and career to consider, so I hope you get something from it also. This is episode 57 of Best Girl Grip. So I went to Sussex University um, and I studied philosophy so nothing to do with film at all I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point and that was the thing that I'd done best at in school and found kind of interesting and what happened after you graduated from uni did you ever did you have a sense at that point of a career that you wanted to kind of navigate towards um I think I generally knew that I wanted to work in production but I had no kind of idea of what in production I started off by working at this company that were that kind of funded and developed documentaries so I worked there for a bit it was kind of like a job quite soon after I finished university and again still wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do and then that company got their funding cut so they had to let me and another girl go and I but my boss who I was you know really got on with quite well said that um, she would contact a few people in production to see if they were looking for anyone so then she um 
I think she contacted a few people, but randomly then she bumped into Des, who I ended up working for like outside of Starbucks. They knew each other, but not actually work. They knew each other as mates or something. And she was like, oh, he was like, oh, I'm looking for someone to work with me. And, and uh, she was like, oh, well, I've got someone who, you know, we have to let go. And so she told me that. And I was like, I had no idea what casting was. I didn't know what casting director was. I was kind of like unsure. But then, um, you know, she told me his name and I looked up the work he'd done. He'd done This Is England, which I really loved. I loved that film. And so I was quite excited to go and meet him, even though I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. How soon um, into working with Des did you sort of fall in love with casting or did it become apparent to you quite quickly that that was something that you you could enjoy? Um, I think it became apparent quite quickly. I mean, I was there for quite a long time. I was there for eight years, but we just got to work with really interesting directors, um, really great projects, stuff that was like definitely my taste, which was very lucky because I could have, you know, ended up with a casting director who was Mm -hmm. doing something that wasn't. So I, yeah, I just really enjoyed it from the beginning and it was quite good because he Des was quite good about giving you a lot of responsibility and really getting the whole team involved in kind of casting projects so it didn't feel like you were just doing very boring admin stuff the whole time although there is admin involved I do a lot of admin now as well yeah Yeah, no I enjoyed it from uh, like quite early on I think and let's talk a little bit about the responsibilities as a casting director and sort of the hierarchy of how, how you develop in that role. You know, what are you doing as a casting assistant and what does it mean to take on more responsibility? Well, to be honest, because I don't work in like a big company now, I'm freelance and I take on assistants as and when I need them for projects. It's not that much different for me. What I was, what I, you do as a casting assistant or associate and a casting director I mean, there's obviously a lot more responsibility and you're the one who's making all the final decisions. You're running a team for, for whatever project you're doing. Um, and you're the one who's working directly with the, you know, the director. You know, ultimately, you're the one who's finding the cast and another casting director would potentially find a completely different cast. But I still have to do like some of the admin side of things, especially like since being in lockdown. And as I was saying, Des was quite good about giving you a lot of responsibility. So rather than you know, being a casting assistant there, it wasn't like, yeah, literally just sitting on a computer the whole day. You were also taking castings and you were thinking my ideas, which you would do as a casting director as well. Um, mm. But you were also doing the admin side of things like booking in castings, you know, arranging them, contacting, liaising with agents, getting actors availabilities, penciling people if, if they've been selected, which is like penciling them for the dates. I think as you become a casting director, you do less of the admin and more of the kind of overseeing and the, and the ideas. And is the idea is the sort of the the vision for who could who could star in the film? Like when you talk about ideas, what is it specifically that you're referring to? Um, yeah, as in you know, ideas of, of actors who could play the roles. So you know, when you're working with a director, often you're you know they may have some ideas sometimes themselves, but often you're you know the whole point is that you're coming up with many ideas um for for all the different roles i also want to talk about at what point you you went you became freelance and you felt mm-hmm. confident enough to um yeah step away from working with des to kind of doing it by yourself yeah um well i actually was there for quite a long time i was there for eight years which is quite i think unusual i think most people who uh work in work for casting director they might be there for a few years and either go out on their own or maybe go work for another casting director for a couple of years and then go out on their own so in terms of career progression it probably wasn't the you know the speediest way I could have got to where I am but I just really loved the team you know that I was working with there was like we were doing such interesting projects working with great directors so I guess it was just a 
really enjoyable uh, experience and I probably could have left you know a few years before that but I think around the time that I did leave what pushed me to leave at that point was that I started doing so I did uh, one project called Ellen which was the first kind of feature length thing that even though it was under the umbrella of Des Hamilton casting I was the casting director on it Des wasn't involved in it so I did that and that involved a lot of work, but it was also trying to fit that work around the other work at the company, which was a lot of other projects we were working on. Um, and then I started getting short films and stuff, contacting me directly to to cast them. And then I got an agent and it just felt like, oh, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe I, first of all, I, I wanted to be able to be able to give enough time to those projects that I was working on and not having to squeeze them around all the other work that we had with the company. And I guess it felt a little bit more like, oh, maybe I can get work now. And, you know, you know, people are now approaching me. Um, and I just wanted to also be, I mean, Des definitely got you involved in the conversations about what, which projects we were doing. But I wanted to be, you know, completely have the final decision on what projects I was working on. So I think yeah, at that point, yeah, I decided that was in 2017 to go out on my own. And is it also about credit? Because obviously, if you go out on your own and you create your own banner or your own brand, like it's very much, you know, you've casted the film, whereas, you know, is it possible to work your way up to casting director, but you're you're sort of, um, you're still within the remit of, say, Des Hamilton or, or Nina Gold or, you know, a big, a big name casting director, but you're like, you're casting for them, if that makes sense. So yeah. was that about it for you, sort of the, the motivation to move out and sort of, you know, be recognised? You definitely get, you know, obviously you have a lot of responsibility, but you also have all of the recognition if the project that you're working on does, you know, does well. And Des was really good at if there was a project that I worked alongside him with. And I think other casting directors, a lot of casting directors do this, you know, they'll give you, you know, you'll both get a co-casting director credit. So that's really good and it's good for your CV and stuff. But ultimately, through no fault of Des or, or anyone, people do just see the, the name of the company, Des Hamilton mm. Casting, that is who they, until you actually leave that, I think it's very hard to have your own identity. Um, and although you may be building up experience and credits, when people actually contact that agency, they're, they're, they're wanting him and that's what they, that, just by nature of, you know, his name is on the, yeah. on the company. So I think I also yeah, wanted to step outside of that. And although, as I say, there's a lot more responsibility, it's also quite nice to... If, some, if, some, if you do do a good job that you get recognised for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's only natural to kind of want that as well, I guess. And logistically, um, you know, how did that work in terms of setting up your own company? Did you sort of have to like apply or do anything sort of, you know, technical to form it? We don't have an office. So I know a lot of some casting directors, a lot of casting directors do, some don't. I mean, I don't have a studio is what I mean, that where, where I'd hold castings because it just has never seemed necessary for me. Productions usually have like a space or I hire a space the castings and um it's just quite a big overhead when there's other you know, the kind of projects I work on are not like big uh money spinners they're more kind of I hope interesting um independent films but usually are not like getting paid loads for them at all but so I didn't have to organize any of that but that was part of the reason when I was leaving Des I was like how do I function as a casting director without a casting studio that was like one of the things that was holding me back uh so all I had to do was kind of like register at companies houses and I guess tell you know a lot of people that who I had built relationships with um, that I was going out on my own, and then my agent was kind of like putting the word out as well. So yeah, there was not that much you know logistically that I needed to do. I don't think. And did the transition feel you know rewarded um, in the sense that you know the work the work came pretty quickly? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I probably had like a couple of shorts or something that were, that maybe I was like starting on as I left. So it wasn't like I was just going to nothing. So that just, just something to keep you kind of busy. And, and then actually, luckily, stuff kind of just kind of constantly come in at a kind of good pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that has come through people that I've worked with in the past or, you know, sometimes if I cast a short for a director and then go on to do their feature, and then sometimes it comes from my agent who, you know, she's really great and she's constantly putting me up for stuff. So, um, no, luckily there has actually been, it's ne- I've never had to be like, right, I need to go out and look for work, which is very good. But the thing is, I'm, I work, like, as I say, I'm not a big company, so I don't need lots of work to keep me going. It's not like when we were at Desert's, there was five or six of us, or five of us by the end. So you need a lot of work to get to keep everyone busy and to keep everyone paid and everything. Whereas, you know, I can be doing like two features at a time and like the odd commercial or the odd short film and that's enough to keep me going, for, you know, at any one time. I kind of like don't like to be doing loads of stuff at the same time because it's really quite, my head becomes like a mush and you're getting pulled in too many directions to be able to really focus on something. Yeah. Do you sort of find it more productive to really immerse yourself in maybe like the world of the film or the narrative to sort of... It's definitely easier. For example, now, I'm because quite a few projects have been put on hold because of COVID. So I'm only doing one feature at the moment because that one has been restarted again. So right. it's much easier because I'm just totally immersed in that. I can be... I'm just totally across that project. And also, even though when you're working with different directors, they kind of are not really aware of what else you're working on so you're getting it's quite hot you know they're expecting you to fully be on their project mm. where financially you probably can't afford to just do their project so you're doing a few projects and it's quite hard getting kind of pulled in different directions and not being able to give your full attention to to one thing so it's quite nice this is quite unusual but it's quite nice to be able to like really just focus on one thing yeah and also I've got um you know <laughs> this is kind of beside the point but I, just at the moment with like COVID, minimal childcare, everything a bit hectic. It's, you know, there's only so much I can. Yeah, of course. And let's talk a bit more, yeah, about the nitty gritty of the role. Um, and, you know, when you board a project, how many roles on average are you are you casting? Or like, does it, does it um, differ wildly? It totally differs. I don't know if this is the same with other casting directors. And actually it's probably like bigger casting directors probably don't do this, but I cast all of the speaking roles. So that's what I usually do. Mm. I mean, so some, you know, that could be someone who's got like, that, that's going from the lead role all the way to someone who's got like maybe one line or whatever, or two. Yeah, it's, it, so it's a lot. Like sometimes it can be 10 roles, it can be all the way to like 50 roles. Um, wow. usually, usually somewhere in the middle of those, like maybe 30 or something. But it's, mm. yeah, it totally depends on the project. Yeah. And is it is it hierarchical in that you, you start with the lead role and you filter down or are you kind of just casting the net wide? And if you find the right person for like a small speaking role, you'll cast them regardless of who else you've cast in the film? No, no, we'll definitely we definitely start with the lead role and then we kind of move down. But for example, I'm casting a project where where we've opened it out to kind of non-actors as well at the moment and as I'm going as people are putting themselves forward I'm think seeing them be like okay they're not right for the lead role but put them in this folder because they could be right for one of the smaller roles so you're kind of keeping people in mind as you go along and often the directors you know as we go along is thinking not for this role but maybe for one of the other roles so you kind of just naturally do come across people who could fit the other roles but you're totally kind of focused on finding that lead role because often you know, they can't progress with production until you found that lead role sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of financing as well, I guess. Exactly. So you can't really be looking in other people and doing a deal with mm. them if you don't even know 
yeah when you're shooting and all of this and in, in a sort of not philosophical it's the wrong word but or you know even aesthetic but just in 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 that sense of um does the casting of the lead role then inform who else you might want to cast in you know um the look or just does it inform your choices basically yeah i think definitely um i mean especially since a lot of the the other characters usually have to re- or relate or make sense with that mm. that lead role or roles so yeah definitely it kind of informs the rest of the cast i'd say and yeah kind of the feel of the feel of the film and i think yeah i think that's quite important so you definitely need to kind of have him or her in place before you move on to the other um, and you just mentioned there you're working on a project where you're you know talking about non-actors and and um casting them where do you even begin? I mean, obviously you've got the traditional routes of going to agents and you have those relationships, but when you're looking beyond that sort of system, um, where do you begin to find people? Kind of, it's pretty kind of, I guess, kind of common sense approach of just like, what are you looking for? Where would you find that person? So often, a lot of the non-actor searches that I do are for kids. So then you you know where is this kid from what's his or her background and then if it's if it's school age kids then schools are the best place to go because you've got loads of kids in one place I mean obviously not during COVID I'm sure schools would just be like you're not coming in (laughs) Um, but so you know anywhere where there's a large group of kids who feel like they're within that from that background but we do if it's older roles or younger roles we often do a lot of street casting of put stuff on the radio do open calls I cast someone in something recently who read the article in the newspaper and applied that way. At the moment, because of lockdown, we're doing a lot of stuff on social media. So passing information around that way for people to get in touch. I'm trying to think of other, you know, you can go, it depends on the role. Sometimes you could end up in like boxing clubs, you could end up in community centres, youth clubs. It's really just like very specific to whatever you're, whoever you're looking for. Has social media changed your job quite a lot? Just in yeah, the the ability to get out to more people, or how has that affected your work? I mean, for actors, or, or not necessarily like you know, because non-actors is a bit of a vague term. I mean, there's there's people who act, but they don't have an agent, or there's people who act, but they're not trained actors. Obviously, they're still actors, but I guess people who don't have an agent or aren't on spotlight, who may well still be actors. Social media is really good because it allows people to well, it allows you to spread the word, and it allows people to get in touch and put themselves forward where when they might not have seen the project because they're not on spotlight they don't have an agent or whatever yeah I mean it definitely helps us being able to get the word out but you know you you I always kind of usually end up doing that alongside contacting agents putting on spotlight things like this because usually you're just trying to like you just want to find the perfect person for the role so you just want to kind of blast it as wide as possible and just you know it, it doesn't really matter where the person comes from as long as they feel right for the part in terms of the conversations you're having with the director to to begin with, to sort of kick off the search, does it often start with a blank slate or do they have, you know, people in mind? And what does that conversation even look like? You know, what are they asking for? Well, usually after you've kind of like come on board the project, you have a chat with the director. I mean, obviously read the script, have a chat with the director about, I mean, they don't, sometimes directors don't really have that much of an idea and they want to keep it quite open or sometimes they do and they have specific references and they may have actors in mind who they want to approach I mean like that's kind of not that common or they may just have actors that they can kind of mention who might not be attainable or might not be right age-wise but they're a good reference so it's more about chatting through the kind of character of the role usually rather than and like maybe like how they imagine that they look and what kind of background they're from but usually it's quite relatively open I'd say because if it's too specific it's 
quite hard to bring in a good range of people you know mm. and often the person who ends up getting the role is actually not a lot of directors that I work with are kind of quite flexible in that they would like this is you know the role's been written as this but they want to find someone who's interesting and they're willing to kind of change certain aspects of the character to build it around that person that we cast so yeah it's just kind of getting a sense of like the director's taste as well and the kind of films that they like and actors that they like and I also, you know, either when someone sends in a tape or when they come in to audition for you, what is it you're looking for? How, how do you decide that they might be the right fit for the role? I mean, you're definitely not expecting, especially with self-tapes, which is really, I find, think, really difficult for actors because they usually don't have, you know, the perfect person to read with and they are doing it on, like, some kind of setup that they've had to put together. And, you know, they don't have any direction. They're just kind of taking a punt without knowing what the director's taste is or what the director likes or anything like that so so I'm definitely not expecting like a perfectly polished totally nailed performance when I see a self-tape but it's just about seeing some potentials this a lot of the stuff that I cast is quite naturalistic so when I'm watching a tape I usually you know it's about me feeling that it feels real rather than feeling like someone who's putting you know doing a performance so that's quite important for a lot of the stuff that I cast but then also when you're casting a particular character that character you get a real sense of, of that character from talking to the director, reading the script and just doing a lot of work on it. When you're watching an audition, it's about thinking about whether that person could be a version of that character, whether it's, it may not be the exact version that is written, but could be some kind of version of that character, could be believable as that character. So someone could do a really incredible audition and be an amazing actor, but they could just, they're not that character. Mm. It's about finding someone who it's, it makes sense within the story. And was it a process in in learning how to trust your instinct with that and saying, you know, I see that potential and and, and casting that person? Because obviously that's, you know, that's quite a responsibility on on your behalf. Yeah, although I'm never making the final, final decision about whether someone's being cast. It's always usually the director. And obviously I'm deciding who to put in front of that director and I'm, you know, saying my opinion and pushing for people that I think are great. But ultimately... You know, it's the director's kind of vision. So I feel like that needs to be kind of trusted to some extent. So they're the ones who usually, I mean, it's, it's collaborative, but, you know, if there was someone that I thought was perfect and I pushed and pushed and pushed for, ultimately the director could say, no, it's their project. When I see someone that I think is right, I just feel quite excited when I've seen a tape where someone feels right. Or, mm-hmm. So I guess it's the kind of feeling that I, when I get that feeling, you know, it kind of energises you in a way. And do you ever sort of champion people or take actors under your wing? You know, you often hear about actors that have sort of been brought in for castings time and time again by one specific director because they, they sort of they want to get them cast in something. Is that something you sort of do or feel a responsibility to do? I'm probably not like a big enough casting director that that would mean that much for their career if I, you know, but obviously there's actors that I, you know, I'm not like a Nina Gold who like could change their life type thing. <laughs> but if there's actors that I like, I would definitely keep keep bringing them in, you know, and hope that at some point there's something that they get. Actually, that, that happens quite a lot. There's a young guy who's like 17, 18, and I constantly bring him in. And every time I'm like wanting him to get it and he hasn't got it so far. But um, yeah, no, I'd still keep going because I really believe in, you know, his talent. I, I mean, let's sort of then talk about 
the state of the industry at the moment and you know particularly in light of the conversations that have been happening um you know the, the last month or so around commissioning more diverse stories and, and commissioning black stories in particular and and do you feel a certain amount of pressure does that filter down to you and into you know in order to respond to that or or has that always informed your casting process and actually it's the wider industry that are just catching up to that I mean, I think it definitely filters down, the pressure should filter down to my level and every other level. I hope that it's always informed my process, but what's been happening over the last month or so has definitely made me think about how I can, I need to do more. And that's not just about the people that I put forward for roles or the actors that I put on lists, but it's also about which roles am I bringing people in for? You know, how are people kind of represented? Because you probably can't tell from my very English surname, but I'm half Indian, so I'm I'm very kind of aware of the under-representation of Asian and black actors in film and TV. I mean, for example, like with Asian actors, like an Asian actor, I've noticed very rarely cast as kind of a, a lead love interest. It's more kind of a kind of nerdy medical student or, or a terrorist or something like this. So it's about, you know, trying to think quite carefully about who you're bringing in for different roles. And mm. it's also a bit of a kind of vicious cycle because... At the moment, um, there's always has been since I've worked in casting, that pool of actors from ethnic minority backgrounds who are kind of names is very, very small. But until these actors start being kind of given lead roles, that pool's just going to remain small. So it's Mm. about kind of, that's why there's quite a lot of good schemes happening at the moment, like I think it's called Breakthrough Brits and stuff like this that BAFTA are doing to kind of um, give more profile to actors from kind of underrepresented backgrounds. I think the most important place where change is going to happen is at the top level. So, you know, who's telling the stories, who's producing them, who's writing them, who's directing them, because then that will ultimately filter down to, you know, who the roles are in in the projects. I I think I need to be also very aware of who, you know, who who I'm employing um, to work on projects. Just like basically thinking about it across the board, not just in terms of kind of actors, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And especially in that perception of who suits a certain type of role because I, I think I read something recently that was about you you never see um Caucasian specified but in characters you'll always see like the ethnic minority specified so it's like that has to be you know a very particular actor and I also know that you've, you've worked with um Lars von Trier a few times I know that was kind of when you were at Des Hamilton's but I wonder you know thinking thinking in the in the larger picture and not just uh, specific to that um experience do you do you enjoy building those relationships with directors you know is it is it rewarding to work time and time again with the same director and, and getting a feel for you know how they like to cast their films yeah yeah no definitely uh it's great when uh you know director wants to continue working with you because then it means obviously they like the work and mm-hmm. also you've got such a kind of easy you just know how each other work and you know the other person's taste and and obviously you you enjoy working with them otherwise you wouldn't want to work with them again so yeah it's great to work with directors repeatedly and kind of build that kind of very bit more of an informal relationship because when you're working with direct for the first time you're always like you know just treading a bit carefully you know you don't you don't know each other at all so it's a much more relaxed and it's better when you're kind of yeah when you know each other better and is that also like a, a way of defining success for you and that you know you get that validation of someone wanting to kind of come and work with you again you think oh I've done a good job like is that how you sort of think oh yeah I must be doing okay at this <laughs> yeah, I mean it's definitely yeah it definitely feels good for someone to want to work with you again and again especially like if they maybe if you, you started off doing a short film with them that they came back to you to do their feature and maybe like their, the next feature after that it's just nice that they're kind of 
taking you and probably other members of the team, you know, along on this journey. And at what point for you are you sort of done with the project? Is it, you know, you step away once it goes into production and all the roles are cast? And and sort of how do you how do you define, you know, when you've done a good job? Like, is it when you see the film in a cinema or anything? You know, they all, they all did really well in their roles. Pretty much when you've cast the last role and done, you have to do all the deals and stuff, which is very dull, the paperwork. <laughs> so once you've done like the last contract or whatever, then you're pretty much done. There's nothing else to do after that. Often, often I don't actually get to see the film for quite a long time after. So you're kind of, you might be having a look at reviews before that or, and so yeah, it's kind of partly to do with, you know, what, what, how you see it's being reviewed, but then also obviously seeing the film yourself because some things can be, often I don't re- agree with the reviews on particular projects that I've done. And then also obviously if they're recognised with any kind of awards or anything like that, then that's, that is some more like validation that you've done a good job, hopefully. Ultimately, it's it's whether I feel kind of proud of it. And when I watch it, I feel like it's a good casting job rather than necessarily like whether it's been nominated for awards. Although that does, um, that's just a really good feeling when stuff, mm. when stuff is recognised like that. Because it helps kind of, you know, hopefully if casting directors who aren't that established get nominated for something, then it gives some kind of profile to their work and some recognition. So no, it's definitely good that casting's being recognised now because it hasn't been for so long. And I think a lot of other heads of department roles have been so it was just kind of quite weird that the casting was the one thing that was, wasn't recognized so it's yeah. good that that's now kind of been changed why do you think that was like do you have any theories behind that um i don't know my i don't know my theory is that maybe because it has it's predominantly been the female role and maybe that's why i mean i know there's other roles though that are kind of predominantly female roles and i know there's a lot of male casting directors but I, there's a lot of female casting directors and I, I don't know, maybe it's got nothing to do with it, but I feel like maybe that's why it wasn't recognised as much mm-hmm. as kind of editors or cinematographers or other heads of department. That's my theory. Do you think there's any particular skills that A, make a casting director a good casting director, but also B, that perhaps makes it appealing for a woman to do that role? Like I see it as being perhaps, I don't want to be too um, reductive here, but quite a maternal role in that you're, you're nurturing an actor through a process and there's quite a lot of responsibility, I guess, in sort of, you know, bringing them on for something and, and then, you know, potentially changing their life. You've kind of got to be nice and understanding. And, you know, when actors uh, come into a room, it's quite a difficult environment and quite awkward and can be uncomfortable. So it's just about making someone feel kind of comfortable and relaxed I guess um not having like an ego or anything like that I don't I don't know if there's a particular thing that because obviously there's a lot of very successful great male casting directors um I don't know what the reason is why there's maybe more female ones but um yeah I think there's yeah just to make people feel kind of comfortable and relaxed there's other things I think are quite quite useful you know for being a which I'm not sure this has got nothing to do with being female but just um I think you need to you actually need to be quite good at directing as well because often you know when an actor comes in you're working with them quite a lot and if you don't really know how to direct them or what you want out of them then you're not going to get a better performance than the first performance that they did so you know often you need to do a lot of work with someone directing them so you end up kind of getting a lot of experience and so I think you've got to be good at directing and then you've got to have a good knowledge of actors obviously yeah that's really interesting and how how is that something that you're keeping abreast of is that just you know something you know by watching films or are you 
keeping abreast of actors but also you know honing your directing skills is that just something that you learned to do on the job or something that you put a conscious effort into I think I just learned to do that on the job because you work you kind of work working casting for a long time you work out what kind of works and how what's the best way of kind of getting a good performance out of someone and Mm. what what might work better for young people what might work better for older people or whatever so I think that's just something that you kind of learn from doing it you know day in day out in terms of keeping abreast of actors, that can be a whole range of things, like obvious things like going to the theatre, but then like watching TV, just watching TV, watching films, <laughs> just uh, you're constantly meeting actors as well for various projects and often they haven't done anything before, you know, they may have just come out of drama school or they, not drama school, but may have just been like signed by an agent. So just kind of remembering those people, even though they may not be particularly right for, for one project. And yeah, I mean, usually if someone's, been signed by an agent they're going to be put forward to you quite quickly and you can do you know general calls and stuff with actors to get to know them even if there's no particular project yeah I try and just watch as much as possible and and is there like a support system or like yeah other other casting directors or people in the industry that you feel able to go to to sort of ask questions I don't really have a support system which probably which definitely would be useful for me to have but I guess because I only ever worked for one casting director it's not like I've got a whole network of casting directors I work with mm. um so no I don't really have that and that is useful sometimes because if you're not you know some some casting directors work in partnerships or, or you know in a team sometimes I'm a bit like oh I just want to like get someone else's opinion about this but ultimately I guess it's a good thing because you have to just make the decision and do you have a favorite part of the job I mean I kind of like the whole process because it's you know it's exciting reading the script, but then getting started, and then when you when you cast someone, and then also when films are recognised, when there's kind of awards. So no, I wouldn't say there's kind of a very particular favourite part of it. It's kind of the whole the whole process I enjoy. And what motivates you to kind of like to keep doing it? What is it about it that excites you to, to keep finding the next project? I mean, first of all, I don't know what the hell else I would do. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just enjoy I just enjoy it and I am excited by the different directors that I get to work with. So I'm I'm kind of mo- motivated by the fact that I love a script. So if I've taken on a project, it means I really love that script and it's um, I'm excited to find the right people for it and for it to get made. And conversely, what's the hardest part of the job for you? This isn't so much for actors, but it's more for when I'm casting non-actors is the when you have to tell someone that they haven't got the part because with actors they kind of they do this all the time they're very aware of the process they kind of it's they develop quite a thick skin generally so you know because they're used to kind of knockbacks and things but when you've cast a non-actor you're literally like plucking them out of their life usually they don't know anything about this world they they it's very alien and then you know there's even though I try and manage people's expectations throughout and stay in kind of communication throughout it's you still can't help if people get their hopes up and get very excited and they're you know even if I'm trying to say you know this is a low budget British feature they're thinking like Hollywood type thing so then to you know tell them that they haven't got the part it feels you know it feels a bit unfair that you've kind of disrupted their life and so I'm a little bit conflicted about that but I you know as I said try and be very communicative and and manage their expectations and try and make sure that the whole experience is enjoyable so they come away from it thinking that it was actually an enjoyable experience rather than um you know rather than thinking about the fact that they didn't get it I guess if and when you do cast a non-actor do you then feel a responsibility towards them you know if they then want to make acting a career 
you know, you might cast someone and they just don't want to do anything after that project. They want to go back to their life and whatever they were doing. So, yeah, I mean, as I say, I'm a bit conflicted about the process, but but if someone um, decides they do want to make try and make a career, I'm definitely like we're doing it for an actress at the moment, me and the producer and are in constant contact with her, trying to get her an agent and speaking to lots of different agents, arranging calls with her to try and get her set up mm-hmm. so she can kind of continue in this path. So I definitely am there to do that as much as I can I mean as I say I'm not like a big casting director who holds that much sway but I will you know I have relationships with a lot of agents so I definitely try and help as much as possible if that person wants to go on to have a career in it which sometimes they do and sometimes they don't and and for you have you had any personal casting highlights so I can't think of a particular highlight but I guess it's just the projects that I've been able to work on and and, and being able to work with so many directors who I really respect like particularly at Des's, you know, we got to work with Andrea Arnold and Paddy Considine, uh, Lars von Trier, and and then yeah, I, I well, I really enjoyed casting Mandy actually, which was the um, film that I did. I don't even know the years are just going past. But... <laughs> yeah, I think it came out in twenty eighteen, but obviously you must have cast it maybe the year before. That was really fun. Um, it was like the first, one of the things I did after being freelance and. The director was just really cool and so the producers were so nice they're american and we got uh andrew riseborough was in that who i really love so yeah that whole project was quite fun to cast and it was such a mad script and they were really like up for let's just find like the weirdest characters for all the roles so yeah mm-hmm. I like that. that was that was fun and finally what is a film that you've seen recently it could be an old release a short or a feature-length film from a woman director that you think is an undervalued gem that you'd like to recommend so one that I've seen recently is Boys Don't Cry. Have you seen that? Yes, yeah, ages ago, gosh. Ages ago. Oh, I saw it a couple of times ages ago and then I saw it again recently, just randomly. It was on, um, I can't remember what, but I watched it. And I actually find that, I, I think it's a good watch. I don't know if it's considered a quality film. but Yeah, uh, yeah. Kim, Kimberly Pierce, right? Um, is, the, is the director. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with it. That's, that's the name that rings about in my mind. So I'm going to say it with conviction. But um, yeah, the kind of relationship between Chloe Sevigny and Hilary Swank is pretty amazing. And I like that. And then I saw that film Mustang quite a few years ago. That oh. I really, I, again, I haven't seen this for years. So it also doesn't fulfill the, the, the question of something that I've seen recently. <laughs> but I remember at the time really liking it. That's a female director, I think. And it's yeah. you know, a lot of the things that I was trying to think of like are not underrated, like Point Break excellent but that's not really underrated um but sometimes they sort of they go on a bit of an ebb and flow or like a roller coaster with like you know i remember that i feel like that was a more of a thing maybe 10 years ago and now i'll talk about it and some people maybe won't have heard of it like yeah i don't know because Catherine bigelow was like really huge at one point like she was she was the sort of like go-to director that you would name if you're talking about you know women in film um and I, i feel like obviously now it's a good thing that there's a bit more um, diversity in that that marketplace has been a bit more crowded out but at the same time it means that maybe some of her films aren't quite as well known as before I don't know I'm spitballing that might not be true <laughs> the age that I am and that's so everyone my age would know that film but maybe like mm. not a younger generation no that is a, that is a great film this has been great uh, Laura thank you so so much for your time today um, I found it really interesting Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. If you're interested in casting, I recommend listening to my episode with Carmel Cochran if you haven't already. 
and while you're there, have a mosey throughout the whole archive on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast. Have a good week. Bye.